All right, so tonight we're going to be in Romans chapter number 5 and going through verses number 1 through 11. And so we've finally gotten through um, a big portion of what Paul is trying to do through Romans. And you see in the very first verse of chapter 5, he says, Therefore, and if you were here Sunday when I preached, I talked about how Ephesians had the two parts, um, chapters number 1 through 3 and then 4 through 6. And they are connected by the same exact word, therefore. And so all of what we kind of saw through chapters number 1 through chapter number 4 in Romans is Paul is trying to get across the idea that it's faith alone that saves us, that it's not the law that saves us, it's not our good works, it's not even as we looked at our own lives, it's not even reading the Word and praying as we look at our lives today that saves us, it's faith alone in Jesus Christ um, that brings us to that. And so he begins in verse number five here, or verse number one here in chapter five, and says, "Therefore." And if you look up the definition of "therefore," it means for that reason. So we look back at verse number twenty-five in chapter four, and he says, "Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification?" Um, talking about Jesus. So he's saying, for this reason, for Jesus being crucified for us and being our atonement and being our our propitiation, as he says in chapter number three. Jesus being all of that, we are now justified, which means to be made right and made just um, in the eyes of the Father. And for that reason, um, we'll continue reading and see what God has for us tonight. So we'll start in verse number 1 and read through verse number 11, then we'll go back and see um, how the rest of it unfolds. So it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the, this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the, by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Alright. So the heading I have at the beginning of this section is, Peace with God through faith. Um, so what do we see in verse number one as he says, therefore, for that reason, for the reason of Jesus now justifying us through our faith in him, um, what do we continue to see in verse one? Do I know? Contentment. Contentment. And what do you mean by that? Just knowing that people like me and Carl Mm. And be saved. Man. No matter what we've done, 
Or still will be. <laughs> That's the truth, right? He says, since we've been justified by, by this faith, right? We've been made just by our faith. We have peace with God. What's it mean to have peace with God? You know, the, as Joel was talking about, this contentment, right? That, you know, we're, <laughs> we're happy now, right? Because we have peace with God. Why does peace have to be established? Because otherwise they'll just eat yourself up, you know, whatever, you know. Like you were talking about, no matter what we do, we're still, like, we're, we're good. We, we can be content because we have that. I don't know. Like, it's just so you're not constantly beating yourself up about something that you... Kind of like, like when you want, like when you really, really want to know something, somebody won't tell you. Yeah. And, and it's, it's eating you alive. It's all you can think about. And then finally, when they tell you, it's just like, it's like a weight off because you're not constantly trying to form everything around. It's just like, I don't know. That's all you got. I like that. Good. I like that. Yeah, I mean, just just think about the peace, right? There's there's no war anymore. There's no more of God looking at you and seeing sin. There's no more, um, you know, past, present, or future sin. God looks at you, and you're able just to be at peace with Him, right? You know, if you you know go around along with what Carl was saying, that we, you know, uh, I was reading through the commentary, and it was kind of like uh, it was describing someone that they're driving in a car. But they have the cop lights in their rearview mirror, but they don't recognize it. They don't know it, but they continue to drive. Eventually, the cops are eventually going to catch up and stop them and tell them what they've done wrong. But it's like with God, right? We don't recognize that we've messed up. We don't recognize our wrong, and God is that cop. But now we've, been, we've made peace with him, right? And there, we're no more in the wrong. And that's only through our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And thankfully to him, we're made just and made right. And, we're ma- and, and our sin is atoned for for all of eternity. There's no more war between me and God. That all because of what Jesus has done through his propitiation, as he says back in chapter number three, as he's made atonement for my sin, he's eliminated everything that, that God doesn't look at my sin anymore, but he looks at Jesus. It's like almost Jesus is, is standing in my way. There's that song um, called Mercy Walked In. Wonderful song, beautiful song. And it's talking about, I stood in the courtroom, the judge turned my way. He says, it looks like you're guilty. Now what can you say? And, and you know, I, the song continues and said, you know, I spoke up your honor, honor. I have no defense, but that's when mercy walked in, right? That's when the Lord walked in and says, you know, he, I'm going to stand in his place. And if you're going to judge anybody, you got to judge me before you get to him. And thankfully, um, Christ has made peace for us with God through his death. So not only has he made peace with God, but he says in verse 2, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. What do we have access to? Heaven. Anything else? Freedom. Freedom. Definitely. All right. And what's the key to the freedom and what's the key to get into heaven? Jesus. Jesus, right? The faith in Jesus, right? We have obtained, right? We've been given access into heaven to freedom by faith, which is the key, right? Faith is this key, and we've been given access, and we're only welcome into heaven and only given freedom 
<clears throat> because of the grace that we stand in now. As he continues to say in verse 2, into this grace in which we stand. And so when you stand for something, what's that usually mean? You believe in it? Anything else? If you can stand, it's usually you're standing on something firm. You can, you know, you can <laughs> place yourself on it and feel okay. huh? You can trust it. I definitely, I mean, I think that's exactly right. We've obtained this grace, right? And grace is given something, or we're given something that we absolutely do not deserve in any way, shape, or form, right? We're given freedom. We're given justification. We're given heaven, and we're given freedom from, from all, and we're given righteousness, and we don't deserve it in the slightest, right? We're awful, and we're terrible people, but we're able to stand on this wonderful news, and we're able to stand on the grace that we have by our faith in Jesus Christ. Not only can we stand, does he say, but he says we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so the word rejoice means to, to be joyful, to be like cheerful in the things that you have. So not only can we stand on the grace that we have, not only do we have peace with God, but we can rejoice because of the hope of the glory of God. What is hope? If you have hope into something or you say you have hope, what does that mean? Right. You can trust something, right? You're putting your trust that something will come. That we get to put our trust and we get to rejoice because we hope in the coming glory of God upon our own life. That we're not separated from the Father anymore. As he tells us back in chapter number 3 that, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in verse number 23. Right, And he even tells us in verse number 10 that none is righteous, no, not one. That we've all been separated from God, but because of who He is, because we can stand on His grace because of the faith that we have in Him, we can rejoice because God's placed upon us His glory. And we can have hope in that and trust in that and know that it's going to come to us. And that's wonderful news, as Joel was saying, right? Is that if I truly examine my life and look at my life and say, man, I am a terrible person. I've done terrible things, I'm doing terrible things, and I'm going to do terrible things, but I still get to have hope in God because I've got, or Jesus Christ himself has made peace with him um, for me. That God looks upon us with favor. Um, and, you know, that's just a, a wonderful word, right, that I, he has I have favor in his sight, that he, he delights in looking at me and loving me. And I, I think about just my own Christian walk that, you know, I was saved at eight years old and I firmly believe that I accepted Christ then. But as I began to move throughout the rest of my life, I still treated reading my Bible and I still treated prayer and I still treated, you know, church attendance as um, something that, were, that I had to do for God to love me, right? But that's, that's not how it is. That's not how it works, right? I don't have to do all those things for God to love me. I need to do those things out of the love that I have for God, but I don't have to do them to require to acquire favor from Him. The only thing I must do is have faith in God so that God will, and He shows me favor in return. Right? He loved me when I was the most sinful as I could be. So obviously He's going to love me and care for me even after that point. And that's just a wonderful truth. That we even make law, um, that reading our Bible is law. 
Not that it's not bad, right? We need it and we need to understand the Word of God so we can understand who God is. Um, But it's not needed uh, for salvation. The law, as he mentions back in chapter 3, verse 20, says, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That the Bible does show us our sin, and we need to read the Bible to show us our sin so that we might see our need for a Savior. So in verse number three, right, he, he's talking about rejoicing, right? We all love to be happy, right? No one wants to be sad, right? Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to rejoice in a good grade and, um, you know, in someone doing, you know, in a, an accomplishment. But he says, not only that, not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we rejoice in our suffering. Now that just seems counterintuitive to the Christian life, right? What do you think? That seem counterintuitive to think that it would go that goes against what the Christian life is, or is that exactly what the Christian life is? These next three, four, and five that goes against what a lot of people always say. Mm -hmm. Y'all probably heard it. You know, why does God let bad stuff happen to good people? You know, that's why I'm not going to church because. So-and-so always has bad stuff happen. I think these verses are pointing out, you know, much like, you know, what we do if we work out or go running, you know, you tear your muscles down and they're just rebuilt stronger when they come back. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what God does for us and that's what Paul's reminding us in these verses. Definitely. I think verses 2 through, or 3 through 5 is definitely, you know, we can imagine a runner. Right, that this runner that he's running this race, right. So you know, Paul is saying, do we don't just rejoice in the glory and the hope that we have in God? That's great. That's wonderful things that we can rejoice in, but we also rejoice in our suffering. And suffering uh, means to uh, endure pain. That it's just a, a pain in your life, and you're just suffering through it. You're getting through it. And Paul is calling us to rejoice in that and be happy because of it. And he continues saying, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Knowing that this pain produces an endurance in your life. What does it mean to endure or to have endurance? If you think about a runner. If a runner has endurance, what does it mean? I think of Forrest Gump because he just ran and ran. He had a lot of endurance. Yeah. So the word endurance, the definition is going through unpleasant situations. So he says, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Why is that a part of the Christian life? Why must must we rejoice in that? Mm-hmm. I like that. It definitely it talks about that towards the end in verse number um, four or verse number five that the hope does not put us to shame, right? We're working towards a goal, right? We're working towards this reward that's going to be given to us one day, right? That the suffering that we endure, the, that, that suffering produces endurance. 
It's like running and like working, working out like Joel was saying, right? That we suffer through the pain and we wake up the next morning and we're sore and we're wore out. And we go do it again, right? And we continue doing it over and over and over and over again until eventually we get strong enough to, to continue and, and do more. That the suffering that we endure in our Christian life through persecution and through you know, being made fun of or whatever you might be able to think of um, within your Christian life produces an endurance that you can endure more, that you can go further than you could before. I think about when I was younger, especially if I look at my, my freshman year of college, I thought I knew a lot about the Bible. And I thought I was like, man, I'm, I'm good. I'm doing pretty good. You know, and I show up and, and I'm going around the BCM and I, and I meet all these fellow Christians and I'm like, man, these people know a lot more about the Bible than I do. And through that, enduring through trying to read the Word and struggling to read the Word and not doing it consistently, but I, more and more that I do it, I'm suffering through all that, along with going through classes and doing all that stuff. I'm enduring through it. I get stronger in the end. Right? That I see where I, I am now in October 22nd to where I started, high, or started uh, college. I've seen the Lord's brought me so far. And when I went to France over the uh, two summers ago, I went into that you know, trip, not really being able and kind of being afraid to talk to people. And I endured the pain of, you know, people rejecting me and people, you know, not wanting the things that I'm trying to give them and people not wanting to listen to me. But by the end of the trip, it was fine. I knew that I was doing it for the will of the Lord. And when people uh, rejected me, it, it didn't hurt as bad, right, that I was able to endure. So suffering produces endurance. And throughout the whole, this whole part, through verses number 3 through 5, we see a growth process. The Christian life is a growth. It's a process of, of growing. We need to grow just like even in our natural lives. So if suffering produces endurance, and endur- endurance produces character. What is, what is character? Yeah, right. These qualities. Uh, I think the definition, if you look it up, is the qualities of a person. Right, who you are, what makes you you, right? What makes you unique? So if you see, if the suffering produces endurance, that so we can go further. Endurance begins to produce, begins to make us better. That we continue to endure in Christ, we continue to grow in Christ, and it gives us the qualities of Christ, as Joel was mentioning. Right in this context. We're growing in what Christ, what we learned about in Christ. I think verses number one through five show us the Christian life that we first need to understand that we're justified by our faith in Jesus Christ, right? That's salvation. We need to understand that we must be saved first. And through being saved, we begin to suffer and go through pain, but we know we can look to Christ for our healing, and we know we can look to Christ for our wisdom and our guidance and our understanding. And as we do that more and more, we begin to be able to endure more and be able to go through more and go through harder temptations and harder struggles. And through that, we become like Christ. We produce this character. We produce uh, these good qualities. And this good, these good qualities, these, this character produces hope, this expectation of a thing to come. So we got this, you know, we started with the idea of a runner. So this runner, if you're running a race, you're running eventually to reach the finish line, right? Because if you're not trying to reach the finish line, then why are you trying to run? 
There's no, there's no goal. There's no, uh, there's no hope for the end. So you run and you endure the pain and you, and you continue running and, and you produce character within yourself as you practice it over and over and over again. But you know you're not doing it in vain. It's like that, the Olympic uh, people, right? They don't swim. They don't throw a javelin. They don't do all those other things to do any just for no reason, right? They do it for a medal. They do it for a, a reward. He just wanted to run. <laughs> he just wanted to run. I just wanted to run. Yeah, why'd you run? I just, I just felt like running. Um, <laughs> but man, we, we, thankfully, right? We have hope in the glory of God. We have hope knowing that when we finish this race, we can walk into the gates of glory and the Lord will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? You ran the race. You did what you were supposed to do and you endured. You went through suffering, you endured the suffering. Your endurance produced your character, and your character um, produced hope. And verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame. Right? We don't get humiliated when we walk into the gates of glory because God's not going to be like, Oh, wow, you know, I, I, I wasn't even paying attention. Right? I wasn't even watching you go through all that suffering, go through all that pain. No, right? Because he says God's love has been poured out or poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That man, God's love and God's grace and God's mercy has been poured out. It's a present thing and a, it's, it's a past, you know, this past tense uh, language, right? This past tense is a verb, uh, right? It's right now, right? It's happened. Not only do we have hope in the things to come, but we can hope in what we have right now. We have the love of God on our lives right now. Not only do we have the love of God in our lives right now and in our hearts uh, through the Holy Spirit, but we also have the Holy Spirit in our hearts right now. Right? These are things that we can uh, grasp and attain in the present. That this Holy Spirit, this seal of our salvation... By the way of the Holy Spirit, we're able to understand the love of God and understand all the wonderful things of, of the Lord. I looked up the definition of poured, and it means to rapidly flow. And so I think about what Jesus said, what God has done. That God's love has rapidly flown upon us. That when we accept Jesus, when we accept Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, He's willing and He's ready just to pour all of it out upon us. It's like, you know, when this child is finally born, you just want to give all the love that you can to it, right? You want to hug it. You want to be with it. You want to be around it, right? Because you've been waiting for it. You know, you've been waiting this nine months for it to grow, for it to develop. And now it's finally been, you know, birthed into the world. And now you get to, to hold on to it. And you get to physically love it. And we think about the Christian life that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And the Lord cultivated us and brought us to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And once we accept Him, we're born into this newness of life that uh, Christ has now provided for us. And we become this babe in Christ and this baby in Christ. And, and He gets to hold us and love us and care for us and, and you know, push us along our way. So I look at verses number 1 through 5 and I see faith's work. That faith produces, you know, love in, inside of us, and faith produces this justification upon our life. And Jesus Christ gives us peace with God, and we're able to stand on the grace that He provides, and we rejoice in the hope that Christ uh, has given us in God. 
But not only do we rejoice in that hope, but we rejoice that the Lord has brought us so far. And we rejoice in the suffering that it produces. And this suffering produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. And we have hope that one day we will get to walk into the gates of glory and, and know that you know, Christ has done all the work for us and we're in favor with God. Is there anything else that we'd like to mention before we continue? So verse number 6 through 11, I see Christ's work. So faith's work in verse number 1 through 5, and now 6 through 11, Christ's work. So all this has been done for us, right? That, that you know, we've got our Christ has made peace with God for us. And now we look at verse number 6. He says, For while we were weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So what does it mean to be weak? So I think you're like feeble, right? You're not able to do much, right? You're fragile. There's not much about you that you, you can do on your own. You know, if we, if we go along, continue with the idea of a baby, right? There's not much a baby can do by itself, right? You have to feed it, and you have to, to, to burp it, and you have to change it, right? You have to clean it, right? There's a lot you have to do for it. It's weak on its own. So we look at our lives, and, and he says, and Paul is writing through us, and he says, For while we were still weak, when you were fragile, when you were feeble, when you could do nothing, as he says back in um, verse chapter number 3, he says that in verse number 12, All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. That we're worthless to God, and we're rotten, and we're, we're nothing. We can't do nothing on our own. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. How dare a good man die for a bad man? That's not fair, right? That Christ died for the ungodly, the ones that are not, not against, the ones that are against God, the ones that don't deserve salvation, the ones that don't deserve to be forgiven. Christ died for those ungodly people. You know, and he kind of continues that in verse number 7. He says, For one will scarcely, which means to almost not, right? One will scarcely die for a righteous person. It'd be hard to find a man that died for a righteous person, right? Somebody would do it, but it'd be hard to find him. Though perhaps a good person would dare even to die. To dare means to have courage to die, right? Well, a good person might even consider, consider to die for a righteous man. But that's only a consideration, right? That's only an almost, right? It, it's hard to find someone to die for a good man. But we see a good man die for a bad man, and that's, that's unheard of. And that's what we see in verse 8. 
On the contrary, he says in verse number 8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word but is a contrasting word. So we see in verse number 7 that there's, there's people out there that might die for a good man. Right? There's people out there, a good man might die for another good man, but it's going to be hard to find. And it's probably not, it's not probable. But we see God shows his great love, his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, while we were ungodly, while we were broken, while we were weak, while we were rotten, while we were no use, Christ died for us. That God sent his only begotten son for a broken sinner like Nicholas Deadman, who doesn't deserve healing, who doesn't re- deserve to, um, patience, who doesn't deserve grace, who doesn't deserve righteousness, that doesn't deserve anything good, but Christ died for me. And that's the story of the good news that we get to tell, that while we were still reek at the right time, Christ died for you, for the ungodly. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, the ungodly. Any comments on that? It's just not fair, right? It's not fair that Christ had to die, but he did. Right, and that shows the greatest love that anyone could ever show. That if Christ would die for his enemy, and and we'll continue to go uh, through that, if Christ would die for his enemy, imagine what he would do for a friend. Imagine what he would do for a child. So as we keep in mind what he's just said, right, that Christ has died for the ungodly, he says in verse number 9, since therefore, right, for that reason, for the reason that Christ died, we have now been justified by his blood. That thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ, we're now justified and we're now made right. We're now able to stand on the grace that he provides. And now we're able to rejoice in what God has done. And that's the only reason. We got to remember chapters number one through four. We got to remember that it's by faith alone. That Paul has spent, I mean, his hours of his life probably writing this, these, these past pages of his book. To say it's by faith alone that it's not by the law. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ that you're allowed to be saved. And it's not, uh, you know, what, what has saved us, right? Is what has made us right. And it's only by his blood. And then he says, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. What do we think about that? Who is the wrath of God upon? Everybody. Everybody, right? He says in verse number eighteen of chapter one, for the wrath of God is revealed. It, wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
And Paul already established in chapter number 3 that we're all unrighteous, and no one is righteous, none, not one, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So all of us, as Joel has mentioned, all of us deserve the wrath of God. God has to judge and God has to show wrath upon unrighteousness. But thanks be to Jesus Christ, due to his blood, we've been justified and made right and saved from the wrath of God. That our unrighteousness has been atoned for and wiped away in the eyes of the Lord because of our faith in Jesus Christ. So we see number one by his blood. As I look at verses number 9 through 11, I see just the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's, he's speaking what, you know, what has happened in Christ's life. He lived this perfect life, and he lived by the. He was uh, born under the laws, and he um, followed and abide, abided by the law by every way you can. He died and became this propitiation for us, as it says in chapter number three, verse number twenty-five, that he was put forward for us to be our atonement. And so, number one, as he is dying, we see his blood, right? As Jesus is on the cross, and as you read the gospel accounts, that. <clears throat> that blood is shed, and that he's he's laying there, and you know, and and by his death, we have now have access, as he says in verse number two, we now have access into the heavenly places. I can't, I don't know exactly what gospel account it is, but it talks about the veil being torn from top to bottom as Jesus has died. That the veil separated the temple from the holiest of holies, and no one could go past that unless you were the priest, and unless you know you had your, you had your sins forgiven, and unless you were perfect in the eyes of the Lord, you could go back past that point. But due to Jesus' death and due to His bloodshed, He now made it a way that all of us can enter in. All of us can go in uh, by His blood. So number one, we see His blood in verse number uh, nine, um, eight, and nine. So verse number 10 says, For if while, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. You might know the definition of reconciled. Making something right. The, uh, the definition on Google is to restore a former relationship. And that word, when I, when I was reading and I was looking at the definition, I saw that and, and I was thinking about what, along the lines of what Carl was saying and what he said is exactly right. He's, we've, we've made something right that, that used to be. And when I think about the former relationship, when I saw that in that definition, it broke my heart. You know, you think about Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2, and, and you see God is walking in the garden with Adam and Eve, and he's able to walk hand in hand with them, and, and they're able to eat of whatever they want other than the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And they're able to, to uh, see the goodness and the glory of God. And they're in, they're in right standing with him, and they have a perfect relationship with him. But they broke it in verse chapter number 3. And we see every, you know, there's nothing that Adam and Eve can do, right? They tried. They tried to sow fig leaves to cover their sin, and they tried to approach God that way. But God said that that does not work. Who revealed unto you that you were naked? Who told you that, that you, you were naked, right? 
And they tried to cover it up. They tried to re- restore the relationship on their own terms. But God said no, right, that that doesn't work. I have to do it my way, right, that he had to kill a, a, a lamb and he had to make clothes out of skin, right, that blood had to be shed and it had to be placed over Adam and Eve so they, their sins were covered only by God's standards. And for while we were sinners, in verse number 10, we were reconciled, we were restored from, uh, into our former relationship to God by the death of his son. That we oppose God in every way, shape, form of the word. And I think about it in, in humanly terms. If I had a son, right, and, and someone did me wrong, and, and, and I had to give away my sons because I wanted to make that relationship right, that doesn't even seem feasible. That is, that's not even logical that I would give my son to die so that I could make my relationship right for someone that wronged me. That's, that is not right. You know, we think about um, later on we'll see in, in Romans as Paul begins to talk about how to the Gentiles the, the story of the gospel is foolish. It's dumb that a good man would die for a bad man. It's dumb that a good man would give his son for a bad man, that, especially for a man that did him wrong, especially for an enemy. But we see that while we were enemies, while we completely walked away from God, while we were unrighteous and while we were unholy and while there was nothing good and while we were worthless and weak, God did everything to restore the relationship between me and him. And he even went to the extent of giving up his only son to die for me. So not only were we restored by the death of Jesus Christ and by the blood of Jesus Christ, but much more than that, we've been reconciled, we've been restored, we've been brought back. Um, as we continue to read in verse number 10, shall we be saved by his life? I think about as Paul's writing, is like, if you think his death was good, and if you think his death did a lot for you, and it, was, it did do a lot for you, and it did bring you back to God, and it did make you righteous, and did make you justified, imagine what his life is going to do for you. Imagine what his resurrection is going to do for you. And imagine the the power that you're going to see through his resurrection. That if his life justifies you, or if his death justifies you, and his life brings you even more life. In uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, uh, Paul's talking about how without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our faith is, is null, it's void. It means nothing. That Jesus Christ had to, to rise again so that we might have life again one day. For the wages of sin is death, as Romans 6.23 tells us. That death, ha- someone has to die uh, for our sin. And thankfully, we don't have to do that. And thankfully, Jesus took on all of our sin and became our propitiation to die for us. But he also showed, uh, he didn't just show power over uh, death, and, or he didn't just show power over sin, but he showed power over death when he resurrected from the grave. That to me, that tells me if I believe in Jesus Christ, that means I have victory over sin. Not only do I have victory over sin, but I have victory over death. That there is a day that I'm going to get to come out of the grave as well because of the power that Jesus Christ has. And I just love how he continues to say over and over and over again, much more, much more than that, much more than his blood, much more than his death, and much more than his life. That through his, his bloodshed, through his death, and through his resurrection, we're made 
into something totally new. And we're brought um, and, and given so much more life due to what he's done. Any thoughts before we continue to the last verse? Verse 11 says, For more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in our suffering. And now we rejoice through Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the, the tunnel or the, the path that I must take and the path that I do take to even pray to the Father and give um, praise to Him. That I rejoice because of the reconciliation that has been brought to me. That my relationship has been, has been restored. That even though I broke it, even though I messed up, God did everything in His power to, to bring me back. And that's the good news of God. And that's the good news and the gospel that we get to preach every single day. That for the non-believer, for someone that doesn't believe in God yet, that doesn't understand the free pardon of sin, we get to preach and tell them, even though you're weak, even though you were an enemy, Christ died for the ungodly, and that means you. So that you might be restored and brought back. Not only for the non-believer, but for the believer. For the one that has had remission of sin and, and understood God in that. We get to remind ourselves that we've been brought so far. Not only we get, do we get to remind ourselves that we were brought from a sinful state to uh, a reconciled state. But we see that we must continue to grow. We must continue to suffer. That there will be suffering in the Christian life and there will be persecution. But we're not suffering in vain. Our suffering produces endurance, our endurance produces character, and our character produces hope that we're working towards a reward. And for the church, it's the news that we get to preach, that Pastor Stephen gets to preach, that Dad, my dad and, and Pastor um, Rob and, and everyone else within the church, all of us are preachers, of, and, and we get to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That reconciliation has come, that the relationship has been restored, and we get to have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Any other thoughts? Thank God I don't have to do anything. Go ahead. It's weird because, like, you know, everybody looks at the, the that lead pastor of the church. Like, everybody at this church looks at Stephen. Mm -hmm. But, like, there's so much, like, you and your dad and all the other, you know, Rob, um, music minister. James. James. <laughs> I mean, all, all of these people are doing the exact same way, thing, either to a different group mm -hmm. or in a different way. And y'all have the same job and it. Like there, there's so many people out there like that. Like it, it's crazy to think that we still have people that are lost, when we have that many people, good people that live the life, that that talk to people who aren't afraid to share their faith, you know, over the slightest thing. And it's, we still got people that are lost. It doesn't fit in the message. It just when you said when you said that, it just it clicked with me that 
I mean, that's the job of a pastor. Mm-hmm. It's the job of anyone. Job of I mean, any Christian. It's, it's, the jo- it's the job of anyone, but not that last part you said. No, I was just saying, thank God I didn't have to do anything. I mean, I literally do none of the work. All I do is receive a gift. All I have to do is just be like, yes, I'll take this good gift that you've given me. And and that's all I have to do. I have to, All I have to do is have faith in God and accept the, the gift, and, and Christ has done the rest of the work. You know, and, and to these Jewish people, if they finally understood, and even the Gentiles, they finally got through their heads that it's only by faith in Jesus Christ and it's not the law that saves you. It's by grace alone that saves you. That's wonderful news that you get to hear. That I don't have to do anything. I don't have to abide by these sacrifices. I don't have to abide by these 600 different laws. I don't have to do all these other different things. All I have to do is believe in one man and in his death and in his resurrection. figure it out no because it's uh, you're in you're in verse 11 and it must have just oh, I must have just said something like click yeah it said something that made a click in my head because it doesn't have anything to do with verse 11 <laughs> so this is the good news that we get to tell as I've said many times that to everyone right whether you're the pastor, whether you're the immune minister, discipleship pastor, just Sunday school teacher, or just a, hopefully a good Christian member. That when you go to lineman school and you're, and you're out there doing what you got to do, you're still living your Christian faith. When you're doing nursing stuff, you're still out there living your Christian faith. When you're doing business stuff at Southwire or with finance or wherever you may go, that you're just a good Christian guy, a good Christian girl, living your faith and sharing your faith to the best of your ability. That even though we're ungodly, and even though we mess up, and even though I've messed up way more after I've been saved, I still get to proclaim to people that yes, I've fallen, and yes, I've messed up, and yes, I'm broken, and yes, I'm weak, but Christ is the one that makes me strong. And Christ is the one that's given me forgiveness. And there's nothing I have to do to receive His love. I feel like there's so many people in this world that, you know, they they think that you know, you're trying to show them love and you're trying to show them grace, but they're like, okay, what, what do I have to do in return, right? You know, love, is, love almost isn't even unmerited anymore. That, that people, you know, expect or think that you have to show something in return for the people to love you. Um, but Christ doesn't ask for anything other than, you know, his, your love back, that he shows it to us first. Any other comments, questions, concerns? Cries for help. That's the key nowadays, telling people that we're all the same. You know, we go to church, and if they don't, doesn't mean still much. Sent to, you know, yeah, it doesn't mean sent. much. Yeah, so you know that's the hard part to convince people that you know they think, oh, well, I've I've done this and that and the other. Like, well, so have we. <laughs> yeah. so, and we continue to do it. Yeah, not intentionally, but. Still happens. Definitely. Yeah, Christ doesn't care. Have faith. Public confession of faith. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, there's so many people. I mean, especially if you look at the Jews, and can definitely compare the Jews with the Christians of today. That the Jews were li- living this holier than I, holier than thou attitude. That so many Christians also live that today. That I'm holier than you, and, and I'm going to act like it just because I go to church, even though they do the same as that things. I mean, that's what he tells them uh, back in in chapter number three, I believe. Um, But if you call yourself a, um, no, that's not it. Yeah, verse twenty-one. You then who teach others, do you teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. That these Jewish people were doing the same things, right? That they were proclaiming that some that you must be holy and that you must follow the law, but they weren't even following the law. And they were expecting everybody else to when they couldn't even do it themselves. That I can't act like I'm holier than thou. And I can't act and, and go about living my life that way. Except that doesn't attract anyone. Unmerited grace and unmerited love is what attracts us, right? That... You know, it's, it's God's kindness that's meant to lead us to repentance, not His wrath. And His kindness, His forbearance, His patience, and His goodness leads us to repentance. Alrighty. Well, I challenge you to live your life this way, right? That we would walk into this newness of life that Christ has provided for us. That we, you know, listen to these words and we hear this goodness of God that we, number one, as a believer, we thank God for what God's done for us. And also, number one, as a believer, that we would go tell and share with so many lost souls that we see in this world daily. Right? Yes, there are people here living the Christian life, but somehow there are still people that don't believe. And some people that don't even want it, don't even care. I heard a song recently, and it's called Thank God. And by this girl named Sasha something and that song is horrible and is terrible and she's talking about how you know she's just this sinful person and she does does all these things and she says thank God for making a hell you know that like that's the chorus of her song and I'm like that makes absolutely no sense and you know it just breaks my heart to know that there are people out there that number one either they don't care or number one they, they they're just like whatever you know I'm going to hell and I'm fine with it. And it's like, that doesn't make sense. But thankfully, there's people in this room, people in this church that are challenged and are tasked to go tell those people like her that love is there. So, would you always like closing prayer?